Good morning. My name is JD. I am one of the pastors here. I am glad that you are here uh, this morning. Glad you've chosen to to be with us. My sermon title is this: um, is salvation to the ends of the earth. Salvation to the ends of the earth. See, God is fulfilling His mission that He promised through Isaiah. In the passage that Mike read to us this morning in Isaiah 49, as we read earlier, he is fulfilling his promise through the prophets, and he is fulfilling his promise through Jesus that he made in Acts 1.8, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go to the ends of the earth. That the gospel of Jesus Christ would go to the ends of the earth. So as we dive into our passage this morning, which is found in Acts 13. Acts 13. be reading 4 through 52. If you do not have a Bible that is yours, uh, please, as Mike said, provided Bibles are under the seats or somewhere around you. Uh, grab one of those and use it. It's page 636. 636 if you need to follow along. Uh, just give me a couple minutes before we read uh, those passages. But um, before I was a pastor, I have not always been a pastor. I did not come straight out of high school, went to seminary, and that has been my trek. Uh, before I was a pastor, I had the privilege of being a sales rep for Coca-Cola. And uh, I say privileged because I was able uh, to work alongside some, some really hardworking uh, people. And most were, most were just a joy to be around. Most were a joy to, to be able to work with. And, uh, and it obviously gave me opportunity to talk about the gospel with those that I, that I work with. I had the opportunity just to, to speak a life into people. And what I found as I shared the gospel and as I talked about my faith and as, uh, uh, as I shared uh, what God had done in my own life through my own testimony, I realized that there was kind of two categories that people fell into. They were either a receptive people, a people that were willing to hear what I had to say, and then there was also a, a, a people that were rejecting like there was a, a receptive people, people that wanted to hear, people that would be willing to hear, willing to come to church with me, willing to, to do all the those rejecting people of, man, I just, I don't think uh, that's for me. Now, obviously, in these, in these two veins, there are subcategories in each one. But I want to just give you a, a couple of examples for both a receptive people and a rejecting people. So for those who are receptive, for those who I found were receptive, maybe you, uh, maybe they grew up with religion. I found they they, they grew up with religion, but they they have kind of gotten away from the church, or their religion um, and their desire to hear the gospel uh, has changed. Like I, you know, I just I just don't want to be in church anymore. But I, I kind of want to hear, um, I kind of want to hear what it is that you have to say. Uh, maybe it'll be fresh and new, and maybe maybe I'll hear it for the first time. Or, or I even found that those who are receptive were maybe even maybe even thought they were Christians, and so one of the guys that I got to work alongside of really closely for a week because he, he was training me 
um, was a guy who, who kind of fell in this category. Uh, as, as we got together, as we worked together for this week, after the first couple of days, I was like, man, I really need to share the gospel with this guy. He's, I just don't believe he's a Christian. He hasn't shown any examples of a Christian. And, uh, and so I just, you know, I was, as I was talking to him, and I was, as we talked about uh, what it was of my faith and, and kind of what God had done in my life, that's when I found out that he, he too uh, believed that he was a Christian. And I was like, man, I said, what, is, what does it look like for you? What is, well, how, how has God changed your life? What's your, what's your testimony? Because I'm telling you, the words that I hear out of your mouth give me no evidence that you're a Christian. So, so tell me, tell me what, what it is that you, how you identify with Christ, in what way. And so, uh, just through his testimony, I just realized his, his testimony was not sure, and then I wasn't sure if he was if he was a Christian or not. And so, um, and so for him, I just continued to to share the gospel. I continued to witness. I continued to to talk about his sin, to expose some of the things that I saw in those first couple of days of of a, of a real sin nature that had had not been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And so I continue to do this. This is a, a person who was receptive, but also thinking that he was a believer. There are others who, who, who may have uh, receptive people that have never heard the gospel, but they want to hear about salvation. So they, they listen to the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And, they, and these are just a couple of examples of, of what it means to be receptive. Those who may have never heard but want to hear what it is that you have to say that can transform and change their life. And then those who may even grew up in, in religion and grew up in church but yet have just kind of, you know, it's not for me, never, never redeemed, never saved. They still want to receive the gospel. But then uh, a couple of examples of, of people who reject the gospel is, is someone may, who just may be outright repulsed by the idea of God. You've, you've met these people? Like, there cannot be a God. They want nothing to do with hearing the gospel. They reject any thought of it and actually opposition to it. And so I got to, I got to work alongside a guy like this. Matter of fact, he is a really good friend of mine. I mean, a really good friend. Probably the hardest working guy I've ever met. And he also did his job amazing. Like he, he, he's the hardest worker I've ever met, but he, his detail to, uh, to do his job well was amazing. And so I remember uh, after knowing him for a couple of months, I did not tell him that I was a Christian or anything like that. We just kind of worked together. Uh, we don't work side by side or anything like that. It was kind of, you, you might see each other maybe three or four times a week in the job that I was in. Uh, and, we, and that would be for like a few minutes at a time. And so uh, I remember whenever he found out that I was a pastor and he said, uh, and I was, and I was kind of bivocational and, and, and being an elder here. And uh, I remember he got this blank look on his face and I said, man, what are you thinking about? And he's like, I'm thinking about all the curse words that I have said since we've met. And uh, I was like, man, that's funny that you feel guilty about that. Like, what does that look like? You know, so I use it as a, as a gateway. And he's like, man, don't start. Like, don't start. I know what you're doing. But he was always the one of, you know, God is this, you know, you believe in this fairy in the sky and I'm not going there. Even though I've tried to trick him into coming to church a few times, like making bets with him. If, hey, if so-and-so wins a game, hey, will you come to church? And no, and, and uh, he, won't, he won't buy it. But anyway, uh, I tried to trick him into getting here. But um, we're still good friends. I still try to share the gospel with him. Even though he rejects me, even though he gives me the, the old, uh, you know, stiff arm, I still attempt to, to share the gospel with him. And he knows it. He knows I'm going to, and yet he loves me anyway. So um, another example of someone who, who may reject the gospel, and you may know more people like this, um, but it's someone who is at least a little intrigued by the gospel, but they don't want to give up the life they're living. You've seen people like this, like, man, 
I, I know it may be true, or I know that the gospel may be sure, uh, but yet, yeah, nah, man, I'm not, I'm not there. I don't, maybe one day. They'll say maybe one day. Maybe there'll be a time when I will, when I will believe the gospel, when I actually take time to, to, to go to church and, and see who God is and figure it out. But man, like right now, um, I'm just not ready for that. It's gonna, I'm just not ready. I, I, I am enjoying my life that I'm living, this very selfish nature. And so they reject the gospel. And, uh, and they, they kind of don't want to hear about it anymore. And, and they'll they basically say, hey, I'll let you know when I'm ready. Okay? All right. As long as we know it's there. And so as we walk through our passage today, we're going to kind of see this. We're going to, we're going to see this in our passage. We're going to see examples of these two types of hearers. And so in, in our story today, we're actually going to see two different stories, but they're laid out kind of the same, where we see these, these, these people who are, who are working in, in our text today. So one setting is on the island of Cyprus, which is found in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. So Cyprus, one is going to be on the island of Cyprus, and the other is in Pamphylia, which is the southern modern-day Turkey. Southern modern-day Turkey in, in Paul's first missionary journey. So uh, both of these passages, as we read them, will have the same three types of people. And then I will add a fourth type of people at the end of our, of our passage in Acts chapter 13. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the three types of people that we are going to see. The first type is a ready people. A ready people. Taking notes, I'll give you a second. The second type of people we're going to see is one I just described, a receptive people. A receptive people. And the third type is a rejecting people. A ready people, a receptive people, and a rejecting people. Let's read Acts chapter 4. I'm going to go through verse 12 to start with. Acts 13 verse 4 through 12. So follow along with me. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bargesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elemas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon Bargesus. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So we see that we have a ready people. Who are the ready people that you see there? Who are the, the ready people, the people that are ready to give the gospel, who are ready to take the message to those who may be receptive, to those who may be uh, rejecting? Who are the people that are ready? We see Paul, 
Barnabas, and then it says John here. But we're introduced to John at the end of verse 12. We see that, uh, that is his name is John, whose other name was Mark. So he's known as John Mark. He's also Mark, one of the writers of the Gospel. This is Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark. And say, we see that they go to the place, we see a ready people where Paul and Barnabas and John Mark who are who know the gospel, who've, who have uh, had their lives changed by Jesus Christ, they go and proclaim the word of God in the synagogues. So as soon as they, as soon as they sail to Cyprus, in verse 4, they arrived at Salamis. What, what do they immediately begin to do? They be, immediately begin to proclaim the Word of God. And they go to the very place where the religious are. They go right into the synagogue on a Sabbath day to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And so we, we, we see that they would go to a place where there was common ground. Right? We see that Paul and Barnabas and John Mark go to a place where they've come out of. There's a, there's a common ground there. And so as a ready people, we must establish a common ground when we want to share the gospel. It, it helps us to do that. What, what is the common ground thing that's happening today? What's something that we could talk about that's happening today besides church? The Super Bowl, right? In case y'all didn't know, there's a Super Bowl this afternoon. You know, right? It's been talked about for the last couple of weeks. But for many people, that's a common ground. That's a place where you can start, hey, who do you have winning the Super Bowl this week? Man, I don't really care. I just want to see Coach Reed win one. or so. You know, whatever that conversation looks like, it's common ground. And what common ground serves as is a launching pad to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. It's just a launching pad. It's just a place where we can establish a communication. So me and the guy uh, who I work closely with here, right, who rejected the gospel, we have common ground. Guess what he loves? Baseball. He loves, he loves the Atlanta Braves, right? I love the Washington Nationals. So we get some really good debate for the National League East, right? But it's a common ground for us. And one of my bets was that if, 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 uh, if the Atlanta Braves uh, were to win the World Series, that he would come to church. Yes, I know I win in that, and he does too, but that he would come to church. So that was a common ground for us, and we must find that common ground. So for Paul and Bar- Barnabas and John Mark, they would go to the place where there was common ground, where they would, they would worship God, they would know who God was, they would be able to proclaim salvation through Jesus Christ, who we'll see comes through the prophets and through the line of David. But as we use common ground to, to, as a launching pad, the thing that we must do, and I think the thing that Christians are weak at, is garnering a response. We must garner a response as a ready people. We must garner people's... We must make people respond to the gospel. We must make people respond to the gospel. I am, I'm guilty of having a 30-minute conversation with someone talking about sports or other things that I have in common with them and, but, but, and forget the reason that I struck up the conversation in the first place, right? Which was to share the gospel. I'll walk away and go, man, I was supposed to share the gospel and I didn't even do it. And you know, you feel guilty and you feel unfaithful and you feel frustrated that you didn't do that, but yet God is forgiving them. But we must be able to garner a response as a ready people. So if you want to know who a ready people is, a ready people is all Christians for all time. 
You are to be a ready people to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. He has prepared us to be able to do this. We must be a ready people as we see here from Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. Not only that, that not only did they just go here to... Um, uh, to Seleucia and to Salamis where they proclaimed the word of God and the synagogues used, but they, they went throughout the whole island. Verse 6. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they, they came upon a certain magician, a, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. And he calls Barnabas and Saul and he sought to hear the word of God. So who is this guy? He is our receptive people. He is a person that is ready and wanting and desiring to hear the gospel. He is, he is waiting to hear, but then Elimus, who is this false prophet, this magician, who would do things for Sergius Paulus, he was trying to oppose them. He was seeking to return, uh, to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So he was a person who was rejecting the gospel. He was a rejecting people. He was in opposition of the gospel. Why was he in opposition of the gospel? Because if the proconsul believed that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the, and the life, and he, he believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it would take away the, the need for the proconsul to have a magician, to have someone who would be able to, to do the things that he could do. It would turn away his money. The proconsul paid him to be able to, to do things for him, but he wouldn't need that if the Holy Spirit convened in his life and changed his soul. So the proconsul knew what, what was at stake here and he rejected the faith. Not only did he reject the faith, but he was in opposition. He opposed the gospel. He opposed uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark to be able to come and, and push him away from the faith. And here in verse 9, we see this transition. Saul, who is also called Paul, is two names. Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul will be his, is his Roman given name, right? And, uh, and so this is, a, like many of us, I think even Brian mentioned it last week, um, many of us have, we go by different names. My name is Jonathan. I go by JD uh, or, or whatever you want to call me, John, John Boy, whatever it looks like for you. Um, but... Uh, but we go by many names sometimes, and so this was true of Saul who became Paul. But this is a, this is a transitional time here in Acts 13. It's a transitional. The, the gospel is, we're going to see here at the end, where the gospel is going to go to, not just to the Jews, but to the ends of the earth. So Luke, the writer of this book here in Acts, makes a very distinct change. Saul, who is also called Paul, he looks intently at him. Like, I don't, I imagine Paul is probably an intense individual anyway. But like to have Paul to look at you intently and to, and to do this, go, look, he looks intently and says, man, you son of the devil. It's kind of harsh, right? You enemy of all righteousness. Full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the, path, the straight paths of the Lord? And there are people like this. There are people who try to deceive, who try to step into your Christian faith or try to obscure what it is that you're telling people. So let's say you're telling three or four guys about the good news of Jesus. Usually in that context, there is a dissenter. 
There is someone who wants to pull you away from hearing the good news of the gospel or pull away the person that you're trying to reach. And it's because they, they know that, that their life is going to change, that they may no longer be able to be the friends that they were or be able to do the things that they did before, and it scares them. So instead of having fear in the Lord and His righteousness, they fear what others may think or what may happen in their life and the changes that may come. And so they reject the gospel. And what Paul is saying here is like, listen, you need to stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. The paths towards salvation. Then he goes on to, to lay a what looks like for a temporary curse. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And much like this apostolic nature, the apostles are able to, to do these types of things that we cannot do, or at least I recommend you not try them. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he, would, he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. But, verse 12, the proconsul believed. He believed. He saw what had occurred. He heard the word of the Lord. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He was astonished at what, what Paul and Barnabas and Cyprus. I want to tell you this. That as a ready people... There is nothing more glorious than when you tell the good news of the gospel as a ready people. To a people that is receptive, they hear the word of the Lord and they believe and they're astonished at who Jesus is. There is nothing more beautiful than that. And you get to take part in it. You get to be, as a ready people, as people called out by Christ, you get to be a part of that. You get to be a part of, of God's salvation story. You get to go and preach the gospel and preach the good news. So, so my declaration to you, my charge to you, is to be a ready people. To be a people who is ready to give the gospel, to go to the places where, where people are gathered and to preach good news. So we need to be a ready people, knowing that there will be people who receive this, and it may, be a, it may be a time where they just receive it, don't respond to it, but at least they receive it. And maybe God will do something later. And even to those who may reject us, even to those who may revile us, we still proclaim the good news. As we'll see in just a minute, this is exactly what Paul and Barnabas do. Let's read the rest of this passage. We'll start in verse 13. Now Paul and his companions, they set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Now, this is a very interesting statement. It's kind of just like what, four or five words here, but John returns back to Jerusalem. Now in Acts chapter 15, we'll get to it here in a few weeks, but Acts chapter 15, this is no small debate that's going to happen between Barnabas and, and Paul because of this very thing that happens. But here it's just mentioned, and I'll leave it there. Verse 14. But, but they went on from Perga, and they came to Antioch in Pisidia. On the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue, and they sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, that's the scriptures, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul, he stood up and motioning with his hand, Men of Israel, 
And you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, arm he, led, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, He put up with them in the, in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, He gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years, and after that He gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God, and God gave them Saul, the king of Kish, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when He had removed him, He raised up David to be their king, of whom He testified and said, I have found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as He promised. Before His coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not He, no. I, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize Him nor understand, the utterances of the prophets which are read every Sabbath fulfilled them by condemning Him. And though they found in Him no guilt, no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have Him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written, written of Him, they took Him down from the tree and laid Him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now, in his, now his witness to the people. And we bring you good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that He raised Him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, He says also in another psalm, You will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But let he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it, be, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astonished, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. So the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, 
I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. They shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So we see this beautiful picture of God's grace abounding in the lives of people. And we see again a ready people. We see Paul and Barnabas and they they go in on the Sabbath day and they go into the synagogue and and they go in and just sit down. And the leaders in the synagogue, they come to them and say, Hey brothers, is there anything that you'd like to say? And I'm just, I'm just wondering what I would do in that situation. Like, as I walk into a church, right? Let's say I walk into a church about this size, and somebody may know that I'm a pastor, and they may go, Hey man, is there, is there anything you'd like to say? And I wonder, I wonder, I think I would have some things to say, right? But I wonder if I'd be ready. Right? Would you find yourself ready to be able to do that? I don't know if I'd be ready to be able to do that. But what, is, what does Paul do? It reminds me too of, of, um, of this verse in 1 Peter 3.15. It says this, But in your hearts honor Christ as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it, do it with gentleness and respect. And so as a ready people, we have to be ready to, to give a defense to anyone to, who asks us for the hope that is in us. That's what it means to be a ready people. And so as Paul comes into the synagogue and as, he's, as they reach out to him and say, hey man, is there anything you'd like to say? Paul, he stands up and he's, you know, he's, he just kind of waves his hand. Brothers, let me tell you what i got to say. And he, he goes into this, again, to this diatribe on, or, or this sermon on that, that meets them where they are. That meets them where they are. As a people gathered together in the synagogue, worshiping, worshiping Yahweh, these religious people, they would have identified by starting with men of Israel and you who fear God, right? So he, he, he knows his audience. So the men of Israel are Jewish descendants, people who believe and have been raised as Jews, right? And those who fear God were also known as God-fearers. These are Gentiles who have, who, who have, um, who, who have, trusted and believed in Yahweh. Although they do, do not know the, or do not give way to the Jewish cultures, they have converted to Judaism, right? So they are Jude, Jude, uh, Jewish converts. And so he knows his audience. To God of this people Israel, I mean uh, to men of Israel and you who fear God, the God of this is- people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. He would have understood, these guys would have understood that. They read this all the time in their Sabbath. They would have known where he was going with this. They thought, he, you know, they would have thought like, okay, I'm, I'm tracking you. I'm tracking you that our, our, our fathers are, are, have been made great that with uplifted arm that God led them out of the wilderness and for about, or led them out of Egypt into the wilderness for about 40 years where He left them there as a curse because of their 
complaining and they're grumbling. And after destroying seven nations in the land of, uh, of, of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance after that 40 years. And all this took about 450 years to happen. They would have been like, yes, I'm tracking. I'm tracking. I'm, I'm engaged. I'm, I'm, glad that, I'm glad that our leaders have asked you to speak. And then he, he, he kind of follows this line of thinking where they where appoint Saul as, as a king because the people are, are crying out for a king. And so Saul, uh, not the Saul that we see here in the New Testament, but Saul of the Old Testament, the son of Kish, uh, he leads for 40 years. And when they had removed him, we get, we get this picture in, the, in 1 Samuel of, of Saul dying off and then God bringing about or... or God has already brought about a, a one that would take his place, a son of Jesse named David. Yes, we're tracking with you. David is, has, is, is a great forefather for us. He raised up David to be their king of whom he testified. And he said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. They are tracking, they are tracking Paul right now. They're, they're in. They're engaged. And then something happens in verse 23 that would have caught their attention. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as He has promised. Uh Uh-oh. The leaders, the, the Jewish leaders are probably going, they're probably looking at each other and said, whose idea was it to get this guy to speak? Right? Now, this, this is probably what happened. I can just imagine they're all looking at each other going, whose idea was it to get this guy to speak? Because they knew that the Savior was coming from the line of David. That Jesus was the promised fulfillment of the the Savior coming from the line of David. As He promised. And then He goes on to say, hey, before His coming, John... John the Baptist had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. That God is worthy. Jesus is worthy of our worship. That Jesus, that as we gather together, Jesus is the promised fulfillment from David. He is worthy of all. And then he goes in to say, Brothers, the sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God. Again, he knows his audience. Those who are from the family of Abraham are Jewish descendants and those among you who fear God are these Gentile um, Jewish believers. To us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize Him, nor understand the utterances of the prophets. Like, listen, the reason that Jesus died is because you wouldn't listen to what the prophets had to say about who He was. That all these Old Testament prophets, these minor and major prophets, they all point to one thing, and that is Christ as the fulfillment of prophecy. That He is the one who is to come. He is the promised Messiah. He is the promised Savior. He is the one who is worthy of our praise and adoration. And these prophets, they, he goes on to say that they were read in 28, I'm sorry, 27, that they were read every Sabbath. And they were fulfilled actually by you people condemning them. 
see God raised him from the dead. They put him on the cross. They took him down from the tree. And they, but God raised him from the dead. He is the resurrection and the life. And for many days he appeared to those who had come with him from Galilee to Jerusalem who are now his witnesses to the people. And we, we, Paul and Barnabas, we bring the good news that God promised to the fathers that I'm bringing you the good news that Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. That Jesus is the, from the line of David. He is the fulfillment of that promise. That Jesus is the one who is worthy of our praise. Jesus is the message of salvation that rang from the mouth of the prophets and that, and that in the condemnation and death of Jesus, He fulfilled what the prophets spoke. You see, Jesus is the greater David. Jesus offers forgiveness of sins and those who believe are freed from the bondage of sin. Look at this with me in verse 39. And by Him, by Jesus, everyone who believes is freed from everything. You are freed from your sins. That moment that God opens your eyes and your ears and your heart to the Gospel, you are freed from your sins because of what Jesus did on the cross. He took your sins and He bore them in His death. And for all those who would believe and put their faith and trust in Him, you are freed for the forgiveness of sins. You're not free to sin. Don't get it wrong. You're not freed to sin, but you are free from your sin. Past, present, future. It's good news. It's good news. Because forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. You are this people. But yet, knowing his audience in verse 40, there are always going to be dissenters. He says, listen, beware. I know there are dissenters here. I know there are people here that don't believe this yet. Pray you do, but listen. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, you who, you who don't believe this truth, be astounded and perish. For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. There will be people who reject what you say. And the warning is that, that you will perish. That you will perish. There will be people that will tell you in this day and you won't believe it. But yet, yeah, look at what happens in verse 30, 42. As they went out, the people, these people that were sitting there and heard this message, they begged that these things might be told in the next Sabbath. They begged. Well, how do you see these people? Do you see them as receptive people or rejecting people? Like, these are receptive people, right? If, they, if they're begging to hear more, I think they're pretty receptive. Not only did they beg, but they, that many Jews and devout converts to Judaism, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And so Paul and Barnabas come back, verse 44, they come back the next Sabbath, and now almost the whole city has gathered together. 
The whole city has gathered together to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Him. But when the Jews saw the crowd, they were filled with jealousy and envy and strife and man, what's going on? They're going to take away, it's going to take away all the things that I've worked so hard for. And they began to do what Elimus did earlier. They began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. And they began to revile him. But Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judged yourselves unworthy turn up, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. You see, this is God's mission. This is God's mission. This is, his, this is a missiological shift in what is going, the gospel and, the, and, 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 and these chosen people that God has is now going to shift to salvation as we see and later in the passage, salvation to the ends of the earth. This is God's fulfilling His mission that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the other in, utter ends of the earth. It's also His fulfillment of what was read to us earlier in Isaiah. That the salvation, matter of fact, that's what Paul quotes here. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Does that mean that salvation does not come to Jews? No. But it does mean that salvation is now open for all those who would believe. And look what happens. The Gentiles heard this. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many were appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. God's mission, the mission of Jesus Christ was going forth, that we would go and make disciples of all nations, and that we would be doing this. And so we see that God has a chosen people, a chosen people set apart for His mission. Salvation, we see, belongs to the Lord. He has, he has a chosen race. He has a, he has a royal priesthood whom He has designated and has for Himself. He has appointed a people who will rejoice at His name and believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. We see this in 48. That as it began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed in the Lord Jesus, believed in the gospel. And so He calls us to be faithful and bold to proclaim the gospel that many would come to faith and, and be found rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. We must be faithful. We must be a ready people that, the, that, that we would see, verse 49, come true and come to fruition for our church and in this area that the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. You, I, I pray, church, that you would feel the weight of this. That you would, you would feel the weight of being ready. That you would feel the weight of being a, a, a people who would be ready to, to give a defense of the hope that is in you. That you would desire to proclaim the good news that, that God would do a work in us that, that would be spreading throughout the whole region. That people would hear about what God is doing in our area here. But there's still a people who will reject Him. Yes, 
we see that there are times when, as we see in 51, they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. So they, they shook off the dust. There's times where we just got to, okay, I understand you're not, you're not ready, you're not there. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to move on to the next. And I'll be praying for you. And then the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Man. Um, so the guy that I was on the truck with for a little while, uh, for that week, um, I had left Coca-Cola. I was pastoring a church in western side of Fredericksburg, Virginia. And I had left the company and was gone, and I got a call from, from this guy. Kind of out of the blue, and uh, he just wanted to catch up. Just wanted to catch up. And so uh, I was talking to him, and I was just like, how, how are things going, man? He's like, man, things are going awesome. Like, things are going really good. I'm really plugged into my church, um, just leading, leading in some music areas and things of that nature. And he said, man, he said, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be where I'm at. I was like, what do you mean? He said, well, from that conversation that we had, um, I realized that I wasn't a Christian. I realized that I wasn't a Christian. And I went back to my church, my pastor, that I was already serving in, I was already a member of. And I told him, I said, man, I'm not a Christian. And uh, thanks be to God, he saved him. And, and doing a mighty work in, him, in, his, in his church and in his area and through his work now, just be faithful. Be fa- you never know. Like it, it may not happen in that moment, but it, 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 the seeds you plant, they'll make a difference. They will be a receptive people. There will be a people that reject the gospel wholly. But yet, we are called to be faithful. We are called to give uh, the good news of Jesus Christ. We are to continue God's mission. To take the gospel to the utter ends of the earth. You see, it's, it's God's mission that we're a part of. It's God's mission that unifies us together. And we get to partake in it. We, we get to see the, the rejoicing. Do you catch that? That's the fourth people I have. God has a rejoicing people. Because He has a ready people, He has a rejoicing people. And we must be ready. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that You would help us. pray that You would help us to see Your mission. Not our mission, not, not, not for our glory, not for anything that we have done, Lord, but for what You have done in us. What You are doing through people. A mighty work. A mighty work that you allow us to be a part of, Lord. Help us to see that. Help us to feel the urgency. Uh, Lord, the, and give us the passion to, to go and proclaim the good news, Lord, that we may see rejoicing, Lord. If even the, even the angels in heaven rejoice, so should we. Help us to be a part of that. Help us to feel that. And, uh, and, just, and just join you in your mission uh, of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the musicians come, I just want to, I just want to remind you that um, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Maybe, maybe you've been one that's re- been receptive, but not believing. Maybe, you, maybe you're one that's kind of, you don't mind hearing the gospel, but yet it's not something that's transformed your life or even, or even you've kind of listened to. Maybe, maybe you're one that's been here today that's been rejecting. 
Maybe I've been rejecting stiff-arm, but somehow you made it into church today. I've been rejecting, I've been stiff-arming those who've been trying to proclaim to me the good news. And yet, uh, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that Jesus is alive. He overcame the grave, He overcame death, and He is alive, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And that prompting of the Holy Spirit is in you, that causing you to like, hey, I want to repent of my sin, I want to turn away from my sinful nature. We saw today that Jesus offers forgiveness of sins. From as far as the east is to the west, He has forgiven all of our sin for those who believe. Today is the day. Sorry.